This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. If you read through the history of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, it quickly becomes apparent that God's people went through this same cycle over and over again. They were in fellowship with the Lord and obeyed him. Then they strayed from him. They disobeyed him. They fell into idolatry. They ended up under his judgment. Then at some point they repented and enjoyed God's favor once again. But what about us? Christians in America definitely have behaved in similar ways and it's affected our nation as well. In light of all the recent pastoral scandals, including the president of the Southern Baptist Convention plagiarizing and deceiving the flock that is his charge, where's the repentance? That's just a couple of examples. Where is the repentance? Where is the zeal for the Lord? Where is the godliness and holiness in our lives that the Lord expects of us? We have to go back to God's word as a nation. And more importantly, we have to go back to the Lord himself because he is the only hope for our salvation, our family, families, our nation, and our world. We're going to talk about it today with Shane Eidelman, lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in California and author of two new releases, Oh God, Would You Run the Heavens in 40 Days to Reset Your Life. Shane, just great to welcome you back to the program. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and that's a great introduction, right, where we should go with the direction of our nation and its morality, and it's good to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you, Shane. Will you set the stage here? Because I know this is very much a subject on your heart. You've written a lot about it. You've done videos about it. Now you've got two new books out about this whole issue of where we are as a nation. What is your assessment? Well, when you, you made a good, a good point introducing that, like the nation of Israel, you know, we've drifted and came back and drifted and came back. And, you know, a lot of people, and rightly so, sometimes have a, um, a question about verses. For example, Second Chronicles, if my people are, or humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will heal their land. And, you know, it was written to Solomon, contextually dealing with Israel, but the principle, I believe, still applies. Can you imagine if America humbled herself and mm-hmm. prayed and sought God's face and turned from sin? I mean, there would be, I think, a, a move of his spirit behind that. So, we look at the principle. So I would say the direction of our nation, and I just listened to your program today, fantastic, on how the uh, election, we know it was fixed. We know that President Trump actually won. That's no question there, but I believe God is using it to break the church. There's a lot of, of arrogance. There's a lot of pride. And without revival, I don't think, without a spiritual awakening, maybe I should clarify that, there, there is really no hope for our nation. That spiritual awakening is where we must be looking, not to 2022, although that's important, not to 2024, although that's vitally important. Our hope right now must be in God awakening his people and bringing revival to Very break good. us and humble us again. Well said, Shane. When you talk about breaking the church, I think that's a very significant phrase that you just used. Can you expand on that and explain to listeners what you mean by that? Well, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, but without humility, no one will be led of the Lord. Hmm. And it's, it's in that humility and in that brokenness and breaking denominational lines, even though I know there are differences, and, and just thinking less highly of ourselves instead of more highly of ourselves than, than we are right now. And the church breaking, to me, it's that, that the, uh, the image of 
how do you get the olive oil? Well, the olive is first broke, broken, and how do you get the uh, perfume from the flower? The petals are crushed, and it's that crushing, it's in that breaking. And I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, before God uses a man greatly, he must hurt him deeply. Yes. And it's, it's yes. in that humility that we really see that the, the seeds of revival being planted. And I know that word is a little iffy sometimes, especially with conservative. I mean, I would consider myself conservative like you. Mm-hmm. And that word kind of can mean some interesting things, you know, a circus environment or the, the Holy Spirit is doing weird things. Not really. Revival is God reviving his people. And from that comes the pulpits against aflamed with righteousness and preaching against sin and calling people to repentance. It's not what we're seeing today. Many churches are going woke and they're apologizing for their skin color and they're, they're directing us back to the social gospel and America was bad and all these things that are just not only lies, they are destructive because they are very prideful in and of themselves. Well, right. It's kind of ironic. I saw something on Twitter not too long ago. Somebody made the obvious uh, observation, I should say, that you had the woke coming into the church saying things like, you conservatives are way too political. It's not about politics. It's about Jesus. And then after they did that and after they were entrenched in many instances, they turn it around and start pushing leftist politics down our throats. To what extent do you think that kind of leadership is God breaking the church? Boy, that's another good question. And I know, you know, we don't have too much time to unpack it. Uh, but I think the woke church need, needs to be woken up, <laughs> woken up to their, their sin and their hypocrisy. And the interesting thing about politics is this, they're just upset because the church embraced someone like, say, President Trump, yeah. because if we weren't looking at the person, but on policies, and I'm not going to get into all that, because right. I know uh, we don't have time for it. But they are very political because politics just means leading or directing a group of people. So you have different Christians in different roles. You're going to be more uh, political than, say, someone who is just a Bible teacher. I'm going to be more political because God has given me that passion and the desire to show the, the original intent of our founding fathers, to show that we are not an evil nation. nation can't be good or evil. It's simply a reflection of the character of her people. Mm. So my heart is for this this kind of woke church, if you want to call it that, or this, I don't know what direction, it may be the liberal church, because many of them, to be honest with you, Janet, are, are not saved. Yeah. Many mm-hmm. of those pastors are not saved. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not filled with boldness. They're filled with the things of the world. That's why they look more like Hollywood than the Holy Spirit. <sighs> and so they're going to just have to come to full prophetic confession of sin, and hopefully God works in the midst of that and wakes that church up. Oh, amen. Now, when we're talking about your new book, Oh God, Would You Run the Heavens? This, of course, goes back to Isaiah 64. And I want to read a few verses out of that because this is well worth our time to reconsider what God's word says. Oh, that you would run the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. There's nothing like the Old Testament to remind you of the power of God. How does that verse strike you, that passage strike you, Shane, as applying to America right now? Well, the, uh, the irony is I was supposed to take a few months, uh, February, March, on sabbatical. And instead of really taking a, 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 my mind off of nothing, I wrote those two books, you know, 40 Days to Reset Your Life and, and Rend the Heavens. And that mm-hmm. verse, I just meditated on it as I was fasting and praying and just, the word is rip open the heavens. 
In other words, God, if you would, not, if you would, you need to rip open the heavens and come down and visit your people and make the mountains even tremble and your enemies fear you. And just the awesome power of God is incredible. But I, before I forget, I think this is so important. It's not just the woke church that's prideful. The conservative church, where there's cliques and it's more about theology, and you can be straight as a gun barrel theologically, but just as empty. Yep. You need strong theology with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that only flows through broken, humble vessels. Uh, so not only the liberal church, the conservative church in many areas needs to be extremely broken and humbled, and I, I think that's what's happening in our nation. Uh, but to answer your question, that verse is profound, because it is literally God ripping open heaven. And in the Old Testament, what happened when the heavens were closed? There was not rain. There was not produce. There was not abundance. There was not a harvest. And so ripping open that heaven and bringing down the rain, uh, to me, symbolizes just the, 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 the tremendous work of His Holy Spirit guiding and leading the church. Can you imagine if the churches, again, preached like they did during the old revivals of Whitfield and Wesley, and, and sin was called out, and they, they would weep before they whipped, and it was just re- repentance and calling the church back, and the altars were open, and, you know, we just don't see that anymore. We're just, on one hand, we're, we don't want to upset the audience, and on the other hand... Uh, we're just too prideful to admit that we need, uh, pastors need to find themselves at the foot of the cross and at the altar again, being broken and humbled by Almighty God. And that is really the only hope of our na- for our nation. Well, there's so much packed into what you just said, Shane, because I, I think this is all important. First of all, what you said about it's, it's easy to point fingers, isn't it, to the other side and say, oh, your sin is this, 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 you better repent, without looking in the mirror and saying, Lord, where am I guilty? Where where do I need to repent? Where have I fallen short? You think of what Jesus says in Revelation 2 and 3, I know your works, but I have this against you. And you see over and over again, the Lord calling his churches to repentance. We'll pick up on this when we come back. Shane Eidelman with us on Janet Mefford today. Back in a moment. This is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to 1,500 Bibleist believers in Africa, in many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique. As many as nine out of 10 Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me, and now it will means so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique. One occasion, I found a pastor that was leading a church of 90 church members. And he was having one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians. And he was leading the church with that Bible. So when we went to give them the Bible, imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried, and they praised God for the gift 
of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100, and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YESWORD, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Actually, the, the need is great. If you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible, that pastor, I understand you work with Bible, but we don't have Bibles here. So that, that, that lady had a Bible from Exodus to the book of Hebrews. That's all. You see that? So there is a great need of Bibles. Send God's word to a Bibleist believer in Africa today for only $5. Call 800-YESWORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Boy, I really appreciate the ministry of Shane Eidelman, who is joining us, lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in California, author of the new releases, Oh God, Would You Rend the Heavens and 40 Days to Reset Your Life. Uh, such an important time to be weighing in on what's going on in the world around us, Shane. And one of the things you've said, I know, in a recent article was that America crossed a dangerous line years ago. Instead of repenting and turning back to God, we have walked further into the deep waters of ungodliness. What are your thoughts on why we did that? Why is it the case that we crossed a dangerous line and have refused to turn back to God, especially when you look around and see how much he has blessed this nation? What is wrong with us? Well, you actually just made a great point because in our abundance, and we see that throughout uh, Israel's history too, Isaiah and Jeremiah were writing at those critical times where they were experiencing great financial success, and that abundance often leads to, to apathy, spiritual apathy and a turning from God. So that's not uncommon. Uh, but also the reason, you know, the reason I mentioned pastors, maybe it's just my passion and studying American history, looking at our founding and the, and, the, and the Mayflower Compact and the construction of our legal system with William Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England. Everything was rooted in Scripture. Yeah. And in my book, One Nation Above God, it's actually written many years ago, I actually give three pages of founding fathers who abhorred the practice of slavery. Hmm. And so showing the other side of that, that the nation it wasn't necessarily evil, it's what evil people did with it. But in saying that, I said this, I, found, I want to say this, I found something interesting, that the pulpit often set the tone of the nation. It was the pulpit that would really uh, speak to truth, speak to political hot buttons. You think we're political now, you haven't seen anything. If you go back and read the, the sermons of the 1800s and election year sermons, yeah. and they would... The, it, the pulpit was really calling people to repent and setting the tone of morality and influencing the, the culture and influencing the governmental leaders. And I think it was half the signers of the Declaration of the Independence was, were, signer, were actually ministers of the gospel. So what has happened, you see now a retreat. Our most popular pastors are, are motivational speakers. You see people not wanting to offend people. And so you're, you're missing out on these jewels of biblical doctrine on repentance and judgment, the blood of Christ. And not that you have to always be on, on that side of it, but you have to, it, the, the, the true love compels us to share all of God's truth. And I believe it's cowardliness when we cherry pick, and God is not in that type of church. And that's why you see tremendous growth. We are busting out the seams. A friend of mine, Rob McCoy, Jack Hibbs, of course, and John McCoy, all in California. We decided to open when no one else would, and people are just drawn to that boldness, drawn to that, that contending for truth in a postmodern culture. So there's so many dynamics that could take place. Apathy, wealth, abundance, our blessings have become a curse. And then you tie that in with the, the, uh, just, the just the powerless pulpit, I guess would be a, a good term. And I'm not pointing fingers. 
I can, I, can, I can fall into that category just as quickly if I don't spend that time with God and broken and fasting. And the things that they, the early church used to do, we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Do, when do you hear of all-night prayer meetings and worship nights and let's fast this weekend and seek the heart of God? There might be a blessing that he might pour out on us like, Joel, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. And Jesus used the Old Testament. I think it's okay for us to use it as well, too, right. as long as it's in context. Of course. Speaking of the Old Testament, I want to bring this into the discussion. Psalm 78 is one of those passages that talks about God's kindness to rebellious Israel, and it goes through recounting Israel's disobedience to the Lord and restraint from the Lord. And you come to verse 9, and it says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. And that one stands out for me because I I look around and I see a ton of deception, a ton of corruption, not just in our government, but also in our churches. And along with that, you see a cowardice, don't you, Shane? I I see a lot of cowardice, a lot of people who are willing to say uh, occasionally say the hard things, but not backing it up with action. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how a lack of repentance also leads to an increase in cowardice. Yeah, it's all connected. My mom used to tell me, even when I was a young boy, that when a vessel is struck, what's inside spills out. Yep. And so what COVID really revealed is what was already going on in the heart. And it's, separate, it's separating, at least in, in California, it's amazing the separation that's taking place. Yes. Uh, people still wearing masks all over L.A. County. I'm in L.A. County. Everywhere I go. I'm, wow. it, it's, it's just amazing. Wow. And our, our mayor was in the news recently uh, for wanting to, in Lancaster, require that city officials are vaccinated and going on some rant. It was, it was, it was really, uh, really eye-opening. But to answer your question... What we're seeing is the spiritual condition of the heart. So what is manifesting, what is being revealed, is what is really going on in the heart of countless people, including pastors and leaders. And, and when you call people to repentance from a sincere heart, not an arrogant Pharisee heart, but calling people to get back on track with God, you'll either be loved or you'll be hated. Yeah. And the prophet is never popular, meaning that, that prophetic type of voice calling the nation back to repentance. But that has always been the remedy 3,000 years ago, uh, even for Moses in Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, the minor prophets. And what were the, what were the prophets? What was their role? To call the people back to God. And so that hasn't changed. Jesus said, go and preach love. He said, go and preach repentance. Yes, right. And, and you see that that is a consistent theme. But you have, that's why when we started the conversation, back to brokenness and humility. And when you start to see pastors fasting and opening the Bible and just at five, six in the morning and crying out to God, and they will become bold. They won't become cowards. Yeah. The more time I spend with God, the bolder I become. And that's just, that's just the way it is. Boldness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. What a great point. Shane, your other book, and people need to get this and read it for themselves, 40 Days to Reset Your Life. You're talking in this book about the importance of prayer and fasting. You made a reference just a couple of minutes ago to how many times do we see people spending all night in prayer, the all-night prayer meeting. It's stuff we read about in Christian history. It's not stuff that we experience, most of us, here in the here in the day and age in which we're living. Talk about that, though, the importance of prayer and fasting and why you're banging this drum so loudly so the church will pay attention to what the Bible says about the importance of prayer and fasting. Well, the irony is, uh, I'm going to go quick, too. There's a lot to say. I actually came from the health and fitness industry before I became a Christian, managing health clubs, believe it or not, 24-hour fitness centers. Very nice. Fasting fasting was not on my radar. That is starving the body, 
you, don't, you eat every three hours, you keep the metabolism going, you're going to lose muscle. So I was just dead set against it. But then I keep reading about it in the Bible. You know, Moses fasted, and Ezra fasted, Nehemiah fasted, Esther fasted, Jesus fasted, Apostle Paul fasted. And I, I mean, it's just throughout all of Scripture, the early church fathers talked about it often. Wesley, Whitfield, all the books I'm reading on revival, you know, it, journal notes. I spent all night in prayer and fasting. God mm-hmm. visited the, the Indians, uh, David Brainerd would write, yes. or Wesley would write, or Whit, it was just, it was everywhere I would read. And so the conviction started, I, I started to do a lot of research on it from uh, autophagy and ketogenic diets and, you know, the, the, the physical as well as the spiritual, and decided to fast about eight years ago, and it's been a life-changing experience for me, because what it is, it's really starving the appetites of the flesh to be filled more with God's Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I actually stopped eating before preaching now. I at least go a day without eating before I preach, because just that hunger and that drive, versus I used to speak at men's conferences or different, you eat a big breakfast, I was just lethargic. I, I can tell a difference. So eating is good, we need it, but you have to exchange one appetite for a greater appetite. And Jesus fasted and was empowered. Paul fasted, Peter fasted for direction, the disciples fasted. So anyway, in writing this book on my sabbatical, I actually fasted 40 days water only out of 90 days. Oh, wow. And uh, it was just the hardest thing I've ever done. I would go a week, two weeks, and I actually spoke at Pastor Rob McCoy's church. And in doing that, I had to eat a little bit because of the energy. And so I had to kind of mix it around a little bit, but God just poured this whole book into my, my heart. The articles that you're reading now came from these books. It was just a, a time of, of tremendous spiritual upheaval, but just a good confirmation because it is, it is really your, your appetites will I- I- increase. In other words, if we just listen to our, okay, I, need, I want to get up and get a donut. I want to get up and get coffee. I need to stop and get a hamburger. I need, and we're constantly listening to the flesh. Mm. Fasting silences that voice, so you can clear, hear clearly the, fast, the, the voice of God, and it's taught throughout Scripture, so we're standing on good authority. The reason it's so hard is because most people are coming off of caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, processed foods, aspartame, sodium nitrate. You know, we're just, our diet is really terrible, True. and so that's why it makes fasting even more difficult. But I'll leave you with this thought. The physical benefits of fasting are incredible. So you see the physical running alongside the spiritual benefits. Physically, you're getting clean. Mentally, autophagy takes, uh, takes place, meaning it, it's, your body is consuming old and dead and de- de- decaying cells and cancer cells. And then you're also doing great spiritually. So it's just, it's just an incredible process that has been overlooked. And it's throughout Christian history. No matter where you look, even the Didache, the Didache, however you want to pronounce it, encourages people to pa- fast two or three days before being baptized. You well, know, so. that's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I'm in awe of you a bit. I, I cannot say that I've ever fasted for 40 days out of 90 days. That's something that is just amazing to me. But it, well, well, I didn't want to. I didn't make the whole 40. It was a battle. I would go, uh, you know, 10 days, 12 days, and still. then in, and then you know. But God also taught me humility because I'm a perfectionist, and mm. I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. Jesus did it. Well, God said, no, you better hot shot. You're going. I'm going to humble you. So it was, but it's through that brokenness. And I would tell you, the mornings waking up after not eating four, five, six days, sometimes just worship, I begin weeping, you know, singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, just keep, keep hitting repeat on YouTube, repeat on YouTube, mm-hmm. and just broken for an hour and a half, two hours, and then I just start writing these articles, and it's just, 
it's amazing. I wish I could live there, but, you know, we can't. <laughs> right. But, you know, Shane, I wish we had more time to talk about this. But the thing that I'm really taking away from what you've just said is it, it's an amazing thing when you go to God's word and you start obeying it, isn't it? Because when Jesus talked about when you pray and fast, he didn't say if you pray and fast, when you pray. Uh, th- this is very important for us to go back to God's word. It's just so simple. And yet so much uh, comes along in our lives that demands our time and we don't do the things that God wants us and calls us to do. And I just want to commend to people your book, So God Would You Run the Heavens in 40 Days to Reset Your Life. You can visit Shane Eidelman's website at shaneidelman.com. So grateful for you, Shane. Thank you so much for being here. Janet, too. And I want to let the listeners know on our church website, westsidechristianfellowship.org, they act, we actually have free downloads. So Very download good. All the books for free. Terrific. Thank you so much, Shane. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Hey, if you want to know how important the Bible is, just consider what God's word says about itself. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and it says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Of course, that's a passage requoted to the devil by Jesus himself in Matthew 4. But stop and consider this. As much as we need food to live, we need God's word even more. So what are we to think when so many Christians around the world don't have any Bibles at all? It shouldn't be happening, but it is. That's exactly why we want to get 1,500 Bibles into the hands of Christians in Africa, many of whom have been praying for years for their own Bibles. And this is because of this wonderful campaign that we have going on right now with Bible League International. We also want new Christians to be able to have their own Bibles. It only costs $5 to send a Bible. We're a little over halfway toward our goal, but we do need your help. So if you're able to donate today, we would ask you to call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. And we're going to find out more now about what is going on among believers in Africa from Michael Woolworth, Senior Director of Broadcast Media over at Bible League International. Michael, so good to have you here. Well, Janet, it's great to be with you today. Thanks for a few moments to put this campaign uh, in front of your listeners. And Janet, let me tell you, we're in our 83rd year of ministry. Our Genesis came in 1938. And I know that our founders, a couple by the name of William and Betty Chapman, always envisioned that there would be caring groups of uh, Christians who would learn about the, the mission of Bible League and would get involved. And Janet, that's exactly what your listeners have done. We've set this goal of 1,500 Bibles to bible believers in Africa. We'd like to do this by mid-August. And Janet, can I give you an update? We are currently about 55% toward that goal. A little more than 800 Christians will now have God's Word. But we've got a ways to go. And again, it's good to be with you today and just keep this in front of your uh, wonderful listening family. Well, absolutely. We, we have wonderful listeners here at Janet Mefford today. They always come through and I know they have a heart for God's word. And I'm wondering, Michael, what your thoughts are on this very important biblical truth that from the mouth of the Lord himself, it says that the Bible, the word that comes from the mouth of the Lord 
is vital, that this is so important, even when we're considering bread that we eat to sustain our lives. The word of God trumps that. And and yet we do have all of these believers in Africa who don't have Bibles. How does that strike you when you when you juxtapose those two things? Well, you know, we're focusing on Africa right now, and not because it's just a good idea. It's because this is where Christianity is growing in the greatest numbers in the world. In fact, if you think about the heritage of Africa, you know, maybe uh, two, two centuries ago, you thought of what? A continent steeped in the grips of spiritual darkness, right? Voodoo, black magic, uh, all of that stuff. If you think of Africa maybe 150 years ago, you think of Christianity slowly coming onto that continent, but then a lot of syncretism, a lot of blending of some of the traditional African beliefs with the good old-fashioned gospel. We've encountered a lot of churches uh, in our years of ministry uh, in that part of the world, and uh, we've helped to get them straightened out, to get them turned on to the solid gospel. And Janet, they're always uh, so happy uh, when they find out that they have been putting uh, just uh, millstones, if you will, unheavy, uh, very heavy, uh, unnecessary burdens on their people. And then they can, they can lift those because uh, Jesus says my burden life, but you wouldn't know that unless you had a Bible. And that's why we're holding this campaign and asking your listeners at only $5 a Bible to get involved. Well, I know you have a lot of great stories, Michael. Each time we talk, you tell some incredible story from Africa. And I know you have one today from Madagascar. What can you tell us about what the situation is over there? Yeah, listen, you've heard me say that we estimate that as many as nine of 10 Christians in places like Madagascar have no access to the Bible. That's pretty uh, disheartening, isn't it? But let me tell you about another number. It's a multiplier of 12 and uh, eight decades of ministry. We've noticed a trend all over the world where we minister, and that is the multiplier of 12. We've been able to, to, to follow this pattern, Janet, that as many as 12 people are impacted very quickly when somebody gets a Bible, they've come through. Um, Our Project Philip Bible Study, that's about 8 to 12 weeks. They profess faith in Christ. They've been connected to a local evangelical church, and very quickly they begin to share Christ with others. And again, that's because they know Jesus is not to be kept to oneself. That's the story of Lally, the former witch doctor in the rainforest country of Madagascar, Africa. Here's her story. She was the village witch doctor, all about voodoo, black magic, all of those uh, spiritual darknesses that she was in. Her husband died abruptly. She had four kids. And again, that was her uh, legacy to that point. No one countered the claims of uh, witchcraft until a man by the name of Hobie, a former witch doctor himself, trained by Bible to share Christ. He came to Lally, presented the gospel to her. Tell you a long story short, Janice, she came to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She got her Malagasy language Bible, would read it every single day. And when she came to the text in Luke 19, where she read the story of Jesus encountering Zacchaeus uh, in Jericho, the text says what? When Zacchaeus came to saving faith in Christ, he endeavored to make things right with those that he deceived as a tax collector. And that's what she said. Listen, I've got to do that. I've got to make things right with those that I deceived as a witch doctor. And Janice, she went to literally dozens of families that she had misled through witchcraft on the, uh, in the country of uh, Madagascar. That's the island nation across from Mozambique. And Janet, she would unfold the gospel for these families. Would you know that 200 families, 200 families 
in Madagascar, Africa, have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that's because why? Well, God sent uh, this man, Hobie, gave him saving faith, sent him to bring the gospel. He has turned the hearts of these uh, witchcraft-following people to himself, but they live where there's no Christian bookstore, there's no big box retailer, there's no Amazon to drop a box of Bibles into their village. And this is why we're coming to your listeners today and saying, here's 200 new families, new to the faith, that are praying for the Bible in the Malagasy language. And, Jana, that's what your listeners can do today at $5 a Bible, is put God's Word into the hands and into the hearts of these new believers half a world away in Africa. Well, it's so simple to do, and $5 is such a reasonable amount. I know we've talked about this before, Michael. How in the world can you be that cost-effective for $5 to get a Bible into somebody's hands? Many of us say, well, if I go online or into a Christian bookstore these days and try to buy a Bible, it's a lot more than $5. How is that even possible? Well, you know, long gone are the days when you'd, you'd put a, a carton of Bibles, you know, a canister of Bibles on a ship and pray that it gets there in six months. We work with printers who print the Bible in places around the world where it's safe to do so. And Jan, I was with you a few weeks ago. You and uh, your husband gave you a Swahili language Bible. That happened to be a New Testament only in the Malaysia language. Full Bible, but they're great Bibles. And again, what we do is we meet uh, needs. We can say to these printers around the world, look, roll the presses. We need 200 Bibles uh, in the country of Madagascar. And that's how we get it done. I love that. I love that. Again, $5 is all it takes to send one Bible. 800-YES-WORD is the number to call. 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. Or again, there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Michael, when you are interacting, as I know you do, with believers who get those Bibles, they've been, you know, they've come to the Lord, they've, they've understood that they need to be saved, they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are praying for a Bible, they want a Bible, what happens when they finally get one? What, what is it like when somebody in Africa who has been praying for a Bible finally is able to have one? Well, I tell you, not too far from Madagascar, I've given a Bible to another former village witch doctor, Janet, when she received that for me in the Swahili language. She held that Bible high above her head and said 10 times louder each time, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. And Janet, I've learned that since that transaction happened, that this woman has been instrumental in leading literally dozens and dozens to Christ. Again, that multiplier 12 that we see by God's grace, and as your uh, listeners enable us to help uh, equip people to uh, share their faith, it's happening, and I hope that's what your listeners can do today, is get excited knowing the gospel is going forth, even in difficult places, and we get to step into their story at only $5 a Bible. Janet, we're more than halfway to our goal, want to be there by uh, mid-August, and it happens with every call and with every click today. Well, that's right. So if you are listening and you are able to participate in this wonderful campaign we are conducting right now with Bible League International, please help us open the floodgates and get as many Bibles to Africa as we possibly can. Our goal right now is 1,500 Bibles, $5. 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's a toll-free number, 800-YES-WORD, or there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. So if you can help us, we would greatly appreciate it. And so will your brothers and sisters in Africa. Michael Woolworth with Bible League. Thank you so much, Michael. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Janet. All right. God bless. We'll be back on Janet Mefford today.
Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, I'm Kevin Sorbo. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the Ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Now get ready to write down the phone number and the website so you can join the Preborn team. Join Kevin Sorbo and me, Janet Mefford, as we support Preborn. The mission at Preborn is to supply pregnancy centers throughout America with sonograms. Ultrasounds are a game changer when it comes to saving babies' lives. You see, when an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. Your gift of $140 will cover the cost of five ultrasounds. All donations are tax deductible. You can help save a baby's life by donating to Preborn. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I remember saying years ago that part of the problem with the United States and with Americans in particular regarding the cultural revolution that is just raging all around us is we don't have, as Americans who have been here, like my family, for generations, we don't have the advantage, and it's not really an advantage, but you'll see what I mean when I finish my thought. We don't have the advantage of having seen with our own eyes a revolution occurring in our own country before. And so I've always said, I think it's harder for Americans to accept that there is a revolution going on in front of our eyes because we can't see what we've never seen before. It's, it just seems surreal to us. So we look at what's going on with the Biden White House and the collusion with Facebook and what Jen Psaki said last week. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. And what we're hearing now from other people on Facebook. Uh, this one woman, I got to play this. This is a Facebook board member, Hellthorning Schmidt. This is just incredible because when you look at what's going on with the Biden administration saying, Oh, well, we want to make sure that no misinformation circulates about the COVID-19 vaccine. And so they're basically saying we're colluding with this private company, Facebook, and no doubt there will be others to follow to make sure that you can't say anything. Now, you look at how many lies we've been told about COVID-19 going all the way back to the beginning of the pandemic, and it begins to actually make a case for free speech, not for suppressed speech. But that's not the direction that those in power want us to go. They want you to be quiet. They have agendas. And you should never trust people who don't want you to have free speech because there's a reason they don't want you to have free speech. They don't want truth to come out because they're corrupt and they want what they want. And you're going to get in the way if you're allowed to speak freely because people might listen to you. 
This is the clear sign of a totalitarian. And we haven't seen it quite this intense before in the United States in our lifetimes, but here it is. And we'd better pay attention to it. I want to play this cut for you first. This was the tail end of last week. Hell Thorning Schmidt on the Facebook board talking about free speech. Listen to this. Cut one. And what we're trying to find, of course, I think many of us who are engaging in this conversation is that is that middle road. How do you moderate content and when how do you find that balance between uh, human rights uh, and free, free speech, which is a human rights, uh, but also other human rights? Because obviously free speech is not an absolute human right. It has to be balanced with other human rights. And that is what the oversight is there uh, to do. Until now, we have seen uh, uh, content moderation, as I said, from a few, few select few in, in Silicon Valley, and ultimately Mark Zuckerberg, who's been moderating content. Now we have uh, the oversight board, which is a completely new invention uh, to do this work. Um, and, and of course, I want to say that I think this is a very, very positive new way of doing it. This is just nuts. This is so beyond the pale. And this woman actually is former prime minister of Denmark. So she's not an American. She doesn't understand the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights, but we sure do. Why is Mark Zuckerberg tolerating this garbage? Because he's totalitarian also. These people are really in enemy territory. And I don't mean in the Civil War sense of things, but I'm saying these people are not on the same side we're on when it comes to the, the fundamental God-given right to free speech. We recognize in the United States of America, Facebook, that we have certain unalienable rights that have been granted to us by our creator, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But we also recognize that our right to speak freely is the way that you find the truth. That's the way that you find the truth. I understand you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because that has dangerous implications for people. And I understand that you need to have free speech to be a free society, to be a free society. Now, let's go back to what Jen Psaki said last week. We talked about it, but let me play this for you again. This is cut two. Providing uh, for for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you are for uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. Oh, is that how it works, Chairman Mao? Really? Is that how it works? If you put out misinformation, i.e. whatever leftists don't like and the leftists who are in power, whatever they don't like, then you lose all access to the Internet. That's pretty much what they did to Trump, isn't it? That's pretty much what they did to the former president of the United States. I don't know why there weren't hundreds of thousands of Americans in the streets over that, because that represents a moment that was more important than just making sure Donald Trump didn't say something off the rails. I think we missed the moment in many ways. And we're kowtowed by, by the media attacking the January 6th events in the Capitol. And now you've got all these people jailed for six months for trespassing, and we're still not in the streets over it. You know, what, what, is, what is going on? They, they want to ban you from the Internet. First and foremost, I'm of the opinion and have been for a long time that the best way to get banned from the Internet or to, to circumvent, I would say, the banning from the Internet, ban yourself from the Internet. Get off social media. Why are you giving your business, your data, your privacy to these tyrants? 
You don't have to be on Facebook. I know you like sharing your pictures with your friends on the other side of the country. You know what? We all survived for most of human history without the ability to share baby pictures over the internet. I think grandma will survive. Get off. They're taking your data. They're taking your privacy. They're they're making sure that they control what you say. Now you can't share quote unquote misinformation about COVID-19 and they're the ones who have been lying the whole time. Why are you there? This is when I've begun to really ask people in earnest, why are you there? If you all leave, he doesn't have a business. And you'll say, well, people will still stay. I don't know. If millions of people said I'm out and millions more followed, that might have an effect. And, and it wouldn't have the effect of ever trusting these people again, I don't think. But at least it sends a message. One more follow-up here. This is Peter Ducey over at Fox News right after Pisaki made that insane comment about, you well, know, if you you know, kicked off one social media platform, you should be banned on all the other ones. Yeah, nice, nice American government you have there. Listen to this exchange. Cut three. For how long has the administration been spying on people's Facebook profiles looking for vaccine misinformation? Well, that was quite a loaded and inaccurate question, um, which I would refute. Well, Peter, first of all, as you know, we're in, we're in a regular touch with with a range of media outlets. And we as as, as let me finish. Box, as we are as we are in regular touch with social media platforms, this is publicly uh, open information. People sharing information online, just as you are all reporting information on your news stations. But- Okay, so these 12 people who you have on a list, 12 individuals, do they know that somebody at the Surgeon General's office is going through their profile? I'm happy to get you the citation of where that comes from. There's no secret list. I will tell you that these are people who are sharing information on public platforms on Facebook, information that is traveling, is inaccurate. Our biggest concern here, and I frankly think it should be your biggest concern, is the number of people who are dying around the country because they're getting misinformation that is leading them to not take a vaccine. Prove that. Prove that. No, there won't be any proof for that. Look, look at some of the news that's come out yesterday. Positive COVID tests in Israel, according to according to Alex Berenson, who's been this former New York Times reporter who's been all over the COVID-19 nonsense. Po- positive COVID tests in Israel, the world's most mRNA vaccinated country, are up 30 times in a month, 30 times. And more importantly, new serious cases are up 13 times. And he says, we have no proof vaccines stop serious cases more than overall infections. And what about those people who fled Texas, the Democrats on the private plane, smiling into the camera as they eschewed their duty as elected lawmakers in the state of Texas? Uh, The three who came down with COVID all were vaccinated. But we're not allowed to question the vaccines because Big Brother. Yeah, that's not going to fly. Stop the revolution. There's a good piece over at the Gatestone Institute, by the way, called If You Do Not Have Free Speech, You Are Not Free. Refugees from Communism Horrified at America. I would highly recommend that you read it. But they quote, for example, from Lei Zhang, who's a professor of physics at Winston-Salem State University, born in China in 1966 when the Cultural Revolution began. And this is one of the quotes that he has in this article. You cannot speak out. He's speaking about on American campuses because what he's seen on America's university campuses, he says, reminds him of China. He says you cannot speak out. People in universities are mostly liberal. And so liberal politics go into the classrooms, but you cannot speak out to say this is wrong because they will have an effect, meaning all these claims about 
critical race theory, math is white supremacy and that kind of thing. Even though no one says anything, people know who is the liberal teacher, who is thinking differently. It is the free speech, no free speech that makes it. So this is so dangerous. If you do not have free speech, you are not free. When you see a government cracking down on your free speech, you cannot put up with it. And we better rethink what we're going to do other than just saying, I don't like this. Can you believe what Jen Psaki said today? These people need to be stopped, not just spoken out against, but stopped in obviously calm and measured and legal ways. We don't want to have a civil war. We don't want to go down that road, obviously. There needs to be more pushback, a lot more political pushback. And it's going to take all of us as we pray for this country. Thank you for being with us on Janet Maffer today. We'll see you next time.